0: Anyway, we have been in a fantastic message series. Have you guys been enjoying it that Pastor Matt's been doing? Yeah. Good. It's called Timeless Truth and these last three, three weeks have been super powerful. And I, I like many of you have been praying for God to really move. And for years, praying for God to move for hearts to be changed, for revival to happen, and I feel like we're really seeing God do a lot of that. God's always working, but we are really seeing God move in a different way. And it made me think, like, throughout my lifetime, I've seen God touch a lot of people. Have you guys, if you've been raised in church, you've seen God touch a lot of people? Well, maybe you've had the same question that I have, that I've seen people come and get touched by God, and sometimes their life is changed. Like, they are never the same. Everybody sees, everybody knows, but there's other people that are kind of, like, they're coming up and getting touched by God, you know, every month. Have you guys, like, have you guys experienced that where you're like, man, they, they seem to circle the same mountains. And I've always questioned why. Like, why does that happen? Because when God touched my life, it was like changed. But I've been in that place also where I've been circling mountains. And, and I think it's helpful, at least for me, to figure out, like, what's the difference when I come into encounter with a holy God and sometimes it makes a big impact and sometimes it doesn't because God's the same, We sang about that today, right? God's the same yesterday. He was the same, you know, before time. He's going to be the same always. And so it must be something with me. And I think it's what we've been talking about over these past three weeks that that when I come with a repentant heart, and my favorite definition of repentance is when we change our mind. That's good. Because repentance isn't just being sorry, this is one of the lectures I have with my kids all the time. I'm sorry is just words if there's not something happening in your heart. And what needs to be happening in your heart is like, whoa, that was wrong. And this over here that God says is right. And I'm changing my mind to agree with that. And I'm going to start agreeing with this. And when we come to God with a repentant heart, our lives are going to be changed forever. Because our view begins to change. So then our actions begin to change. And over these past three weeks... And I kind of mentioned this just really lightly before. I typically come into church you know, as a, as a pastor, and I'm like, God, I pray that those new, the new people that are coming in here, that they encounter you. I pray that those people that I've been inviting and praying for and believing would show up, I pray that they meet you. Those people that I know that are struggling in their marriage or struggling with their kids or whatever, I pray that they, they encounter you and the chains are broken, and God's really been speaking to me over these last three weeks, but I, I showed up for you too. Like, I want to speak to you, too. I want to speak to all of them, but do you trust that I have them, but that I also want to say something to you? So God's been working on my heart over these past three weeks. And what he's really been speaking to me a lot is the second Chronicles scripture that we all know, if you've walked with God for a short period of time so well, that says, if my people will humble their hearts and pray and turn to me and repent, if my people, that's me, too. And so I've been spending these last three weeks, God, where are the attitudes in my heart that are not good? Where are the habits that I've had that are not pleasing to you? Where can I go to the next level? What do you want to say to me? Because I want to see God heal our land. Do you? Amen. And so that starts with me. And for you, that starts with you saying, God, what do you want to do in me? Because if I focus on me, then God will focus on working through me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, so that has nothing to do with my message either. But what does is that I believe God is doing something significant. He's doing something significant, and, and we have revival happening and all of this stuff. And I've been doing a lot of you know research and study on me and what are people saying that God's doing. And there's opposing articles, and there's you know articles that agree. And one of the opposing articles. You know, they said something really impacted me. And they were talking about how, like, yeah, there's the lights and the, and the music and all of that creates this emotional experience. Have you guys heard that? Like, that's really what people are experiencing. And so they, they dropped this question that stood out. Can we ever really be sure that we're seeing God? Oh, man, that sounds like that serpent in the garden that says, can, can you really be sure that God told you that. It's not don't believe in God. It's just let me throw a little doubt in there to make you question everything that God's doing so you're never really sure. But I believe that God was stirring up a hunger in the hearts of people. I believe that God was speaking to a prayers that we've been speaking in in Matthew in the Beatitudes. It says those who thirst for righteousness will be filled and those who are pure of heart will see God. So we have a promise that we will see God and that we will know God. But I believe that even in Jesus' day, that doubt of can we really see who, what God's doing, can we really know, all was back then. Because John the Baptist, the one who saw the dove descend on Jesus, the one who said that this is the Messiah, later when he was in prison, he said, hey, can you go to Jesus and ask if he's really the one? Can you, can you go and just ask, you know, is he really the one? And I love Jesus' response. He didn't say, go tell him, of course. Go tell him, like, you know that. You already said. He said, go tell him what you see. You see that blind eyes are being opened. You see that lepers are being cleansed. You see the deaf hearing, and you hear the good news being preached. Go tell him what you see. It reminds me of when Jesus went back to his homeland also, and these are the people that grew up with Jesus. They're the, they're the ones that saw that he never hid his brothers and sisters. They're the ones that saw that he was growing in wisdom. The Bible says that he grew in favor with God and man. These are the people that saw it every single day. But this is what the Bible says in Mark. that Jesus said that a prophet is not without honor except in his own country among his own relatives and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Wow, these are the people that knew Jesus. And so my question that I've been asking is, is the bride of Christ today a lot like Jesus' hometown of that day? Do we have the word of God? Do we come up and show up in worship and and all of that? But are we going to miss what God is really doing? Because that's not God's word for his bride. That's not God's promise. And so today I want to talk with you about having eyes to see. Eyes to see. So let's pray before we move on. Dear Father God, I just pray that you would open our eyes. You have always opened blind eyes. You have always opened deaf ears. That is who you are. You are the same yesterday. You are the same when you walk this earth, and you are the same today. So, God, I pray that eyes would be opened, ears would be opened, Lord, that we would see you, that you would speak to our hearts, and that, God, you would be glorified, that you would be glorified through every word that is spoken in this house today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this... this. Um, message of having eyes to see we see God spoke a lot about that Jesus spoke a lot about that in his day he would say things like seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear do you guys have you guys read that good that was just a moment for me to take a drink thanks for answering that question Um, but also in Isaiah 40 verse 26 it said lift up your eyes and look to the heavens who created all of these he who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. What Isaiah is saying is, is you got to look up. you got to lift your eyes. There's a God who created the stars. There's a God who knows each one by name. He knows of one of the stars. Can you notice if a star is missing? Like, I can watch a shooting star and then look back up and say, where was it? Like, I, I don't even know where it was. But God says, oh, I know where every single one was I know each one by name. I breathe them, and I am taking care of them, and I am washing out for them. Just like the hairs on your head, I know when each one falls. And boy, he's really counting, because some of mine have really fell. Um, but some of yours have really. No, I'm just joking. um, But, no, kind of. But anyway, uh, God knows the details to that level. And he's saying, hey, just look up. Because if you'll just pay attention to that, if you just simply look at the stars, you can see me, and you can know what I'm doing. And Isaiah's saying you got to lift your eyes up, but that's an action. It's choosing to look at who is in control. Is it you? Or is it the one that breathes the stars and that counts them and names them and knows them and the hairs on your head and and the sparrows? Because, boy, I hope it isn't me. Because, guys, if it's me, you're in trouble. Oh, you you didn't hear that. If I'm God... If I'm in control. If you're in control, boy, you're in trouble. But thank goodness that God is really the one in control. And it's choosing to trust the Holy Spirit in us. Choosing to trust. That my uh, pastor Donna... There was one time I used to be, I'm going to tell you about a lot of fears that I've had, so sorry, Uh, but she would, I would used to be afraid that if I would read something or listen to something that wasn't of God, that I'd get really confused, and so if I opened a book and it it was like, oh, no, 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 don't read that, that's a a bad book, or you know, or whatever, and and we should be careful about what we put in, but she told me one time, she's like, oh, no, no, I I trust the Holy Spirit, I trust that if I read a book and there's some things that are off, the Holy Spirit's going to highlight them to me, and like, ooh, that's good. Yeah, 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 you're right. He is that big that he can highlight things to me and he can show me things that that are not on, that are not in alignment with him. And I can actually read a book and glean what's good and, and recognize what's not. Man, God's that good. But see, we also have to trust the Holy Spirit through other people. Yeah, that's a little tougher, isn't it? Yeah, like, um, you know, that scripture that says, you know, wives submit to your husband, and I know there's a lot of debate about that. But, you know, when my husband comes in and says, hey, I think we need to go in, in this direction, and I'm like, um, no. And, and God says, Katie, I think you really need to listen to your husband. Like, I'm praying about it, and God's like, you just need to listen to him. I'm like, but God, you know, like, he, he's really messed it up before. And he's like, yeah, I know. And I'm like, but God, you know, he doesn't know all the things I know. You know, he's like, yeah, I know. And I'm like, but God, why am I going to trust him? He says, you're not. You're trusting me. You're trusting me through him. That's the same with your boss. That's the same with spiritual authority in the house. That's the same with your pastors. Can people hurt you? Absolutely. But God will never hurt you. And God uses everything. And so we have to have eyes to see And we see above, we lift our eyes above our husband. We lift our eyes above the people that are in authority over you. And you lift your eyes to God and say, while they may be fallible people just like me, God isn't. And so I am trusting him. It's choosing to align our life with the word of God. Paul tells us in Galatians to walk by the Spirit and not by flesh. See, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we accept him his Savior. That's super awesome because usually when we get to that moment, we want a Savior, but we're choosing him as Lord. That's the part that we usually run into, you know, our problems with as we walk through life. It's like, God, you know, I want you to save me from all my problems, but I don't want you to tell me that I need to stop doing the things that I don't want to stop doing. But that's choosing him as Lord. And salvation is choosing him as Lord and Savior. And when we choose to make him Lord and we choose to walk by that, that's when we're walking by the Spirit and not by the flesh. That's when we're lifting our eyes to see that God's ways are higher than our ways and that he knows better. I want to take you to one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6. And what's going on in this story is the Syrian army is trying to invade Israel. And we, and we come upon this story, and the king of Israel and the king of Syria, they're kind of in battle array, and they're trying to outwit each other. And what's happening is Elisha the prophet is coming and telling the king of Israel where to go. Let's read. It starts in verse 8 and goes through verse 11. It says, Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, And he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, that's Elisha, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice." Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And So what's going on here is Syria is making a move. And then God's speaking to Elisha. Elisha is telling the king of Israel and he's moving in response to the word of God. And the king of Syria is going, what in the world is going on? Like, I'm just talking to my servants. So he gathers them together and he says, which one of you is betraying me? Like, what is happening? But really, it was the word of God because, see, the Bible says that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet so we can see. Do you know that God does this for you? That we don't need a prophet, we don't need an Elisha anymore. When Jesus died on the cross, he released the Holy Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit in us that is going to tell us step by step where we need to go. But guys, we can't see without a light. I mean, maybe, maybe some of you can. If you can, that's super cool. But I can't see without a light. And so I can't navigate the enemy without the word of God coming and leading me. And the Bible says, I lead you with a lamp by my word. And it's the word of God, the Bible, but it is hearing the voice of God too. So we can always see where God is moving If we will follow the lamp, if we will follow what the word of God says, when we begin to align our life and our plan with God's word, we begin to see as he sees, which he sees more clearly than we see. The king of Israel was getting the uh, the path illuminated from the word of God by the prophet of God. I get the great privilege of working with youth as part of what I do. And I get to see many youth come in. And they come in at this stage, especially the high schoolers, where they're trying to figure out what they want to do with life, right? They're starting to realize that they're at this pivotal moment in their life where they're going to make a decision that is going to set the course of their life forever. Like it's going to change, like they may change jobs later, but this is going to set them on a path that is going to direct their life and impact their life forever. And they're starting to feel the weight of that. And so many of them, the ones especially that don't know God, they come in and they're like, okay, so I'm looking for the best paying job. I'm looking for the job with most prestige or or whatever it is that they look around and they see what are the important things in making this decision. But if they hang around a while, then they meet Jesus. And when they meet Jesus, they realize that there's more to life than money. That he actually has a plan for their life. And they begin to change their viewpoint to begin to look at this major decision through the lens of God's eyes. How can I impact the world? How can I live my life for God? And you see the way they make this decision start to change. As the light, the lamp of the word of God that is pouring into them begins to illuminate God's path for their life. And it's not really all that surprising that many of them consider some form of ministry, pastoring or worship or missionary or something like that, because they're beginning to see their life lived in service to God. Isn't that so cool? It it is cool to see God begin to shift our plan, shift our view, shift our path as we begin to look at it through his lens. I have a tattoo two of them actually, Um, and in the first or the second tattoo that I got, I wanted to get my favorite scripture, which I'm going to read to you in a minute, um, in Hebrew, and that is a super cool thing until you start to Google what it means, and you start to realize, I have no idea if this actually says what it means, and so I'm crazy enough to say, yeah, go for it, just go ahead and tattoo it right on my body, I'm pretty sure that it means, you know, what I think, which is open our eyes, Um, And I'm going to tell all of you that because I'm banking that none of you know Hebrew and that you're like, oh, that's so awesome that she got open our eyes tattooed on her arm. And so a year ago, we went down to San Antonio and we were on the riverwalk. And one of, my, one of the things I love to do, and my crazy friends got to experience this, is when I'm in a different place, I want to get to know as much as I can about the place and the people, and I want to talk to as many people as I can, so I pray, God, lead me to the right people that I can talk to or pray for or, or whatever it is. And there was this one young man that was probably about 22 or 24 years old, and I went up to him in this like mall, outdoor mall thing. You know how they try to sell you things? I don't know if you're like me, but most of the time I'm like, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. I don't want it. Um, but this particular guy stood out to me, and I was like, oh, hi, yay, hi, how are you? And so I'm talking to him, and I started to pick up that maybe he was Israeli. And so I went out on a limb, and I was like, are you from Israel? And he was like, how would you know? We're like, actually, I've been there. And, and so we start talking, and I'm like, okay, I'm really feeling like God wants me to pray for this guy. And so I'm going like to have a conversation and get to know him, and, and I'm going to wait for God to open up the opportunity to pray for him. And so he wanted to like scrub my hands with this stuff. I don't know. It was really weird. And so I'm like, yeah, sure. And I stuck out my hands and he goes, oh, open our eyes. And I was like, oh, that's really what it says? That's so cool. And then I tell him the story of my tattoo and I tell him the story of my, of my scripture and why. And then I get to a point where I'm like, can I pray for you? And he goes, pray. And I was like, yeah. And I'm thinking we have a language barrier here. Like we've done so good and pray is the word. He doesn't know. Okay. So I'm like, yeah, pray. Can I pray for you to God? Um, and he was like, mm, sure. I'm like, you know God. You know like, God? And he was like, eh. Okay, I'm sitting here going, you're from Israel. Right. Like everyone in Israel is super religious, right? Everyone in Israel knows God. That's what my Bible says. But it's dawning on me that just like here, no. There are plenty of people there that haven't, haven't heard about God. Now, Jesus, I would understand, but God pray. And so it was an opportunity for me to just plant some seeds about God in prayer, in my scripture, and a God who opens eyes, and then go on. But I've been praying for this guy for a year. And see, what, what struck me was that God led a, a boy from Israel over to San Antonio, and, and me from St. Louis for whatever reason. Why didn't he bring him to St. Louis? I don't know, because I wouldn't have probably prayed for him, because I would have been, I don't know, thank you, no, thank you, thank you, if I was in St. Louis. But in San Antonio, I'm like, sure, scrub my hands. Um, To have this moment, so that he could have seeds planted in his heart about a God who sees him. But it was being led, like, God, who do you want me to see? Who do you want me to talk to today? Sure, I'll let this guy scrub my hands. Oh, maybe his accent is from, a, I'm going to take a whim, you know, jump out on a limb and say, are you from Israel? And he's like, no. Um, but being led step by step, that, ha- that is how God wants to lead us in our daily lives so that we can see him moving. Because God wants us to see him every day. Because he is doing something every day. Every day of our life, he's doing something, and he does want us to see. What is God illuminating to you? Are you spending time in his word? Are you spending time listening to his voice so that you can hear him lead you to a place of seeing him in a significant way? In response to the king of Syria asking about who is giving away his plans... The, um, one of the servants said, none, no one. No one's giving away his plans. Actually, this guy has to be listening to you in your bedroom. I'll read it to you so, you so you see what he actually says. It says, one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him saying, surely he's in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army. I'm going to repeat that horses and chariots and a great army to get Elisha. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And the servant said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? Um, Yeah, if I was the servant, I would say a bit more than that. If it's me and Elisha. And we're surrounded, the entire city, by horses and chariots and an army that came by night, and now they're in position. I I, I think I would freak out. But um, the servant just said, alas, what shall we do? And Elisha had this moment. He had this moment to where he could be like, God, what is going on? Like, I am doing what you said. I am going and telling the king of Israel all the things that you tell me. I just wanted to wake up this morning and eat my breakfast and read my scrolls and take a walk and do my job and maybe go tell the king of Israel what else you said. But instead, here's this army surrounding me. They they, they came by night. How am I going to get? That's not how Elijah responded because what Elijah knew is that God must be up to something. God must be up to something in this moment because he knew that God can call down fire. Yeah. And he knew that God can part the Jordan River. And he knew that he could throw some flour into the water and axe heads can float. And so the God that can do all that could kept away this army, but instead he let this army come. And he realized that even though maybe he had a plan to wake up and eat breakfast and maybe just go have a conversation with Israel, that sometimes God disrupts our plans so that we can see something different. The Bible says in Proverbs sixteen nine that a man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps and establishes them. And this idea of disruption and God disrupting so that we can see. I was doing a little research on it, and I came across disruptive art. And, and I'm not an artist at all, but it was a super interesting description that I thought would interest you. Disruptive art are pieces of art that broke away from the usual and are made to have viewers question things. And I was like, wow, that's so good. Because sometimes God wants us to break away from our usual so that we can ask a few questions. So sometimes we get kind of caught up in our routine. Maybe you guys are like that, like, I got to get up. I got to go to work. You know, I'm going to do my 15 minutes in my Bible. I'm going to listen to my podcast. I'm going to get the kids to school. I'm going to hopefully take a breath before I have to pick the kids back up and drop them off at sports and, you know, make dinner. And then hopefully have five minutes to watch my favorite TV show before I got to go to bed and do it all over again. No? You got, okay. I, I mean, I was like, you guys got more time. Tell me the secret. But sometimes in our day-to-day routine, we get in a habit, and God's like, hold up, you're missing me. You're not seeing me, and so I got to cause a disruption in your plan. And this particular disruption looked like the armies of Syria coming and surrounding them because God wanted to show them something. It can be good to have our usual disrupted, because sometimes we become more secure in our plan than we become secure in our God. If you guys like that, like if any disruption, how do you, like let me ask you this, how do you respond to Disruption. Because the way I typically respond is, oh, my goodness, God, there is money flying out the window. Please fix the appliance. Just miraculously, in Jesus' name, I want the appliance to be fixed. The car broke down. Just let me pray. Like in Jesus' revolution, that was so cool. If you haven't seen it, just pray over the car. Keep praying. Everybody pray. And then it starts, you know, I don't want to pay for the car. I don't, I don't necessarily want to meet the repair guy that you maybe want me to talk to. Like, I don't want to deal with that because my time's being wasted. So that's a big thing for me because a lot of times I'm like, God, my time is being wasted by these disruptions. And God goes, no, actually, I'm disrupting you so you can see. So you don't continue in your usual because then you're wasting your time because I'm over here. I'm over here trying to lead you over here and show you something. See, God uses disruption all throughout the Bible. Abraham's life was disrupted just a bit. Uh, He was called out of Ur. He's like, you got to come out of that pagan land. You got to get up, pack up, move. Your whole family... Like, let's go, because I want to make you a father of many nations, but I can't do it there. Your plan is to stay there and live the life that you've seen, but my plan is to make you a father of many nations. Esther's life was disrupted. Like, she was just this Hebrew girl living her life with her uncle. He was, you know, high in the, in the ranks of politics and religion, and it was like, hey, no, little girl, I want you to go and contend to be queen. I, I'm sure I'd be like... Really, like, no thank you, bathe in perfume for six months? Like, that sounds crazy. Um, but anyway, and then she did it. And she, now she's queen. She's like, all right, fine, I'm here. And it's like, okay, let's disrupt you again. And I want you to put your life at risk to save your people. But that was what God did with Esther. Ruth's life was disrupted when her uh, brother-in-law, father-in-law, and husband died. And then her mother-in-law's like, hey, I'm, I'm leaving. And she's like, oh, man. You know, she had this moment, am I going to follow the woman of God, or am I going to stay in my pagan homeland? And so she follows the woman of God to become the great-grandmother of King David and in the lineage of Jesus. I think my favorite is Mary's life was disrupted. You know, 14, can you imagine seeing an angel? Like, if you read when people saw angels, it sounds really cool, but every person who saw an angel in the Bible were afraid, fell as dead, terrified. Like, it's not really something that I, that I think is the picture that I've had in my head previous to that. And at 14, seeing an angel, and then they're like, I'm going to, you know, you're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's a big disruption in your life, um, but she did it, and she got to walk and see Jesus, the Messiah, And she got to be his mother and be close with him. Today, most of us aren't seeing angels and being called into deserts and, you know, to risk our life in the gallows. But our lives are being disrupted. In fact, just this week, um, Kelly had her son Joshua. He had been sick for like a week and a half. He was really sick. And so, like, their life was being disrupted just like any illness Uh, would do, and canceling work, and I'm sure canceling school, although maybe not everybody thinks that's such a bad disruption, Um, but it got bad enough to where they had to take him to the doctor, and so she had to cancel a day of work to take her son to the doctor, and all of this, if it were me, and, and she's way holier than I am, so I know she didn't handle it this way, but I would be like, oh my goodness, Lord, we're praying, people are praying, can you just heal them already so we can go on with the day and go to work, but in that urgent care, they, they ran into someone in a conversation that they really needed to hear. Joshua was wanting to become a firefighter, and he's just trying to seek confirmation as to if this is really God's plan. And the person waiting on him was an EMT and got to tell him his story and tell him where he could maybe seek training and all this stuff. And it was such a great confirmation that if he wasn't sick, he never would have had. So that time that was seemingly wasted was actually God's divine appointment. But it came by way of a disruption to our plans. Sometimes disruptions are to change our direction. Sometimes they'll bring confirmation. Sometimes they're going to produce character in us that we couldn't have otherwise received. And so my question is, how do you handle disruption? How do you handle it? Are you like me? Where you whine and complain and whatever until you're like, oh, God, that's it? Or do you handle it more like Elisha? In 2 Kings 6, verse 16 and 17, Elisha said, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. In the midst of the disruption, he chose, no, I'm not going to see this as a waste. I'm going to see it as an opportunity. I'm going to see it as an opportunity to see what God's doing. Yeah, I see those enemy chariots. I see the enemy surrounding the city, but I'm going to lift my eyes, and I'm going to see that actually the armies of God are all around us. And God's wanting to do something in this moment. And so my prayer is that our eyes are always opened to what God is doing. That we don't look in the natural, but that we look in the spirit world. And God wants to reveal it to us so that we can see what he is doing and what he wants to do in our lives. Often we get so focused on the destination that we feel is for our life. And we miss where God's really wanting to lead. Because I know that Elisha, he wanted to see Israel win this battle. He wanted to see the Syrians defeated. This was his homeland. This is where he lived. This, this is what he wanted was God's people to be victorious. And so his plan in his own mind before this was to see victory for Israel. And he's a man, so I know he was like, we are going to smash him. Like, that's the way God's going to do it. That's why he's given us all their battle plans, right? But what really happened is that when the Syrians came down, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this, people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So it was when they came to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men. Pause there. So here twice, what Elisha did is he saw and then he prayed that others' eyes would be open. Because see, when we will allow God to show us what he's doing, then we can say, look. Hey, other people, look and see what God's doing. We can help other people's eyes be open. God wants us to see because there's a world that desperately needs to see. And if we won't see, if we're going to look at our circumstances, if we're going to be too busy to be interrupted, then we aren't going to see what God's doing. And if we don't see, how can we ever point anyone else, to what God's doing? Elisha and his servant could have struck that entire army down in that moment, but he didn't. This is what happens as we read on. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and they were there inside Samaria, Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Good question. That would be my question too. Okay, great. We're here. They're inside our city walls. Let's slay them all. Right? That's the destination, right? That's that's what they were working toward was overcoming the Syrian army. That would have been my idea of the destination. But this is what Elisha said. You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and bow? Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the bands of the Syrian raiders came no more to the land of Israel. So instead of just a bunch of dead soldiers in the enemy army, what happened? It was a group of people that otherwise probably would have never met God. That here they saw God move. They saw God do something. They had their eyes open. Israel still won the victory. Be Because God, guys, we will still win the victory. Right? You know that. Like, have you read Revelation? If you haven't read Revelation, you really need to. Because the end of the story is already set. We win. Oh, you're not excited about that. The end of the story is already set. We win. See, when God was on the side of the Israel army, They were already going to win. It was just the path of how. And the path of how was so eyes could be opened. So that people could be set free. So that God could be glorified at the end of it. The king of Israel's eyes were opened. The servant's eyes were opened. The Syrian raiders' eyes were opened in this moment. And not one died. And Israel still won. That's the God. We serve. I'm going to tell you a story. And as I was thinking about telling you the story, I was pretty sure that you guys are probably only going to remember this story. Um, and you'll see why. But I used to have a fear of dying. And um, my grandma, first grandma died when I was 21 years old. And I remember them saying, you know, come on up. She's, she's passed. And they were like, do you want to, like, see her before... They take her away, and I remember walking up to the door and going, Mm-mm, nope, no, I don't, I don't, I'm good. And, 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 I, and I waited until they did, and this fear came over me. And so then about eight years later, um, no, it was about ten years later, my other grandma passed away. And I remember in the process of her passing away, this fear coming back over me. And they had called me and said, It's probably going to be soon now. Do you want to come up and see her? And I remember saying, No, I can't. I can't, like I am, I, that fear is just crippling me. And so from that time, in the next couple years, there were two other people that had passed away that I knew I wasn't that close to, but one was my friend's grandpa. And she was telling me stories as I was asking her how things were going. And she was saying, oh, he's talking and he's saying that he's seeing things in the last couple days and he's seeing the river and he's seeing different stuff. And she's like, and I'm looking it up in the Bible and what he's seeing is all there. Like, it's all there. And then hours before he died, she was like, Katie, he said he saw Jesus. And there was something that spoke to me in that I was like, wait, Jesus? Like, he wasn't dead yet? See, I wasn't afraid of what happened after death. I was afraid of the dying process. Like, there was something terrifying to me. Fear had gripped me in that, and I was afraid it was going to be painful, scary, terrifying, and all these things. And in this moment when she was like, no, 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 he saw Jesus. I was like, oh. And then Matt's great-grandma, it wasn't too long after that, she was passing away. And my mother-in-law said, she was like, me. One, and one day, hours before she died, the kids were saying, she was talking to somebody, and the kids said, oh, do you see daddy? And she was like, I see Jesus. And I was like, Oh. Like, why didn't I get it before? I don't know. But I was like, wait, in that moment, Jesus is with us. We have nothing to fear in that moment. And because they saw, because they lived a life where they saw, it set me free and it helped me see. Because that, I've sat with several people that have died since then. That fear is gone. It is not on me anymore. And it was because they saw, they helped me see, and they helped me become free. Guys, we need to see. Because there's a world in and out of the church. I was in the church. There is a world in and out of the church that is in bondage that needs you to see so that they can be set free. Because I needed people to see. I still need people to see. Please go before me and see what I'm struggling to see so that I can be set free and I can see Jesus, that I can see that he's there, that I can see that he's overcome when I'm struggling to see it on my own. Who are you helping see? Whose eyes around you need to be lifted? When you're making plans that aren't your own, or that are yours, and they aren't God's, and they're disrupted, how do you respond? Do you look? Do you like, God, I'm intently looking. You want to do something here, and I want to see what you're trying to show me? Or do you get discouraged? Guys, we can know that we see God. We can know. We don't have to be like that article says that can you ever really be sure we can know. But what it takes is us being close to God. It takes for us surrendering to God. It takes repentance. It takes us looking for him and aligning our life with his word. When we live our life seeing as God sees, we will help other people lift their eyes as well. In Isaiah 51, 6, it says, lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath and the heavens will vanish Like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants die like flies. But my salvation will last forever, and my righteousness will never fail. Are you looking to the Spirit? This scripture really spoke something to me. And it was saying, like, one day, there's going to be a day when all the other things that we are aiming for are going to be gone. Like that job, one day you're not going to work it. You know, that that sporting event that's so important that you're taking your kids to, one day it's going to be over. Hopefully sooner than later for some of you. I I get it. But these things that we're in hot pursuit of that are so important that we get so frustrated when distractions and disruptions come, one day they're all going to be gone. One day heaven and earth is going to pass away, and it's only going to be God. And I'm sitting here thinking of my wedding and on my wedding day, my wedding was beautiful. The reception, on the other hand, was a bit messy. I, I, I had a red, black, and white wedding, and my cake came in peach. Peach. Didn't even coordinate. Like, it was awful. And I really, really wanted to have chicken and ham. And ham was a big deal. I kind of take things and I, like, place a lot of meaning on things. And so I intentionally chose ham because my father-in-law loved ham. Okay, I didn't want the roast beef that everybody said was so good that they tried to talk me into. I wanted ham because I had this picture that when my father-in-law came up to the buffet and saw him, he'd be like, she loves me, and it was going to be this bond. See, I know, it's really weird expectations that I put. When I got there, it was roast beef and chicken, no ham. Yeah, I was really, really, really not happy about that. Um, and in my younger days, I really liked to control things, but the biggest thing was I had picked out this beautiful song that none of you guys are going to even like anymore, but I Melt by Rascal Flatts. That was going to be our first dance song. And when we get up there to dance, they played some random song. I don't even know what it was. And I'm like, excuse me, excuse me, that's the wrong song. Rascal Flatts, I Melt. Okay, let's start again. And they put on a Rascal Flatts song, and the name of the song was I'm Moving On. (laughs) And it carries on, I'm moving on, I'm leaving you. And, and so in this I'm fuming wanting to change it again and Matt he's like it's fine it's fine it's fine we've already changed it once like no and he's embarrassed and I'm like but we can't dance to I'm moving on and he's like we can it's fine um and so then then we carry on and um I later look probably about 45 minutes later and I look over and I'm like why why why, why is our DJ singing um, and I realized that mullets are cool now. I was married nearly 20 years ago, not cool. And so this guy with a mullet, with an unbuttoned shirt that I'm sure he popped a few extra and his hair was coming out, awful voice, was singing as my husband and a couple groomsmen were cracking up. And I said, my wedding's ruined. Completely ruined. It is awful. Worst thing ever. Ridiculous. I, it really did truly steal a lot of joy from that day. But guys, about eh, six months later, maybe a year on the I'm moving on song. I didn't even care. I don't care what color the cake is. It's funny now. It makes for a good sermon series. The the I'm moving on song, funny enough, my kids put it on, and they sing, and they dance, and they crack up, and they laugh. And they're like, if you ever renew your vows, you've got to dance to that one. Like, it's the best thing ever. What I thought was so important, my father-in-law loves me. Just so you all know, he loves me. We have a great relationship None of that mattered. None of that mattered. So I ask ourselves today, as we wrap up here, what are we pursuing that one day is never going to matter? That one day, because you know what did matter on that day? That I stood in front of God and committed to a man, and that I'm still walking out that commitment today. That's what matters. That's, what mattered. That's the only thing that mattered on that day. And if I'm honest, I probably gave that less attention than I gave to the color of the cake. But I hope that I don't live the rest of my life like that. I hope I live the rest of my life seeing as God sees. Not allowing the things of this world to pull more than they should. Because you know what? We needed to eat cake. The cake, you know, it had some value. But not the co- Not like the covenant. Not like the covenant. So I want to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just ask the Holy Spirit, what is he saying to you? Is there something that maybe is gaining too much priority in your life? Maybe you're in the midst of a disruption and you're like, man, God, I need to see. I need to see what you're wanting to do with this thing. The Holy Spirit's here. You're his son. You're his daughter. He wants to speak to you. He wants you to see. He's trying to get your attention so that you can see. He brought you here today so that you can hear a message like this so he can say, okay, do I have your attention? Can I speak to you? And before we leave out of here, have a conversation with him. Because maybe you need to ask God, how do I walk that out? Yeah, okay, I see. But what do I need to do with that thing? He has those answers too because his word is a lamp unto our feet. And he wants to lead you to a place where you're seeing through his eyes. Because guys, the destination that many of us think is the destination is often really not because the destination is us becoming more like Christ those things that we're pursuing that we think are so important. He's like, I'm just using that to create a Christ-like example in you. I'm using that to bring you closer to me. And if that'll be our main goal in life, we won't miss seeing God. And we won't miss helping others see God as well. Dear Father God, I just pray, like I prayed in the beginning, that our eyes would be open, Lord Jesus. That we would see you, Father God, that we would hear you, that we would be the bride of Christ that you're coming back for. Lord, I pray that you would stir hearts today, that there would be a hunger in the people. And Father, I just pray that anything that is maybe weighing people down, anything that is causing them fear, Lord God, I pray that those things would be broken off in Jesus' name, that you would bring divine connections, Lord God, to help people see what you're trying to get them to see so that they can be free of things like fear, things like shame, Lord God, or whatever else it is that the enemy is trying to blind them with, Lord God. I pray that you would rise up an army out of this house, Lord God. In your holy name, we pray. Amen. Amen.